Amen. Good morning, Moraine Valley Church, both of you that are here as well as at home. And I have a burden. And I'm going to share a burden that's heavy on my heart this morning. And this is the heart of the burden. I have a burden that too many Christians are trying too hard to live for Jesus. And too many preachers are calling Christians to commit more, to give it all, and make the right choices for Jesus. Now, that may sound strange to you, but I hope by the end of tomorrow's sermon, you'll understand why that's a concern for me. Because those aren't bad things, but they're not the core things. Those are fruits that the Christian life produces. It's not the root of the Christian life. And you know, many people live the Christian life as if it's a bunch of principles to follow and things to do rather than it's a life. It's the life of Jesus. Christian life. Brothers and sisters, I'm here this morning with a burden to help us transfer our trust from ourselves and what we can do to Jesus and what he will do and is doing in our hearts right now. And I'm calling Christians to that. I'm not calling unbelievers to that because I have a burden that too many Christians are trying to live for Jesus, bringing everything they got to the table to do it for him when that's not the Christian life at all. That's the fruit of what the life of Jesus builds into our life. And that's what I'm gonna try to share with you this morning. When you live this way, it's all the difference between you living for Jesus and Jesus living for you. That's a big difference, isn't it? <laughs> so many of us are trying to live for Jesus rather than letting Jesus live for us. It's the difference between trying real hard and trusting. It's the difference between the power for the Christian life coming from me and the power coming from Jesus himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, show us this as he talks about our salvation as believers. For God who said light shall shine out of the darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Let me explain that. For what's the what treasure? The treasure that the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We just sung about that. Jesus is the glory of God. Do you realize, believers in Jesus, you have the very glory of God, the very person of Jesus living inside of you and in me? And he says, in earthen vessels. That's clay pots. That's our bodies. And so Jesus, the very glory of God, lives inside of me. Why? So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Most Christians are not even aware or they're not turning to the indwelling person of Jesus, the very glory of God and all his glorious power that he wants to explain through us. And instead they're turning to themselves to try to live for Jesus. This is my definition of walking in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit means this, I'm trusting the one who lives in me and I'm not trusting myself. That, that's, that's walking in the Spirit. 
moment by moment. My trust is in the one who lives in me rather than in myself. Why? So the surpassing power in my life might be from God and not from myself. And forget everything else I say today. That's the heart of the message I'm trying to communicate. This isn't principles for living. This is a person to trust in. That's the heart of the Christian life. You see, all of us are saved. When we put our trust in the substitutionary death of Jesus for us, aren't we? He died as my substitute, but very few of us are walking by trusting the substitutionary life of Jesus. You see, the whole gospel is what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So man, was just stop at the cross. It's the resurrected life is part of the good news that God brings to us. And so many of us, like I said, we've trusted in the substitute of the person of Jesus to pay for my sins, but we're not trusting in the substitutionary life of Jesus that's now living inside of me to walk as a Christian. Our culture reinforces this. North America, we're self-made people, aren't we? I mean, that's kind of what we're known for. We have the American dream. If you can believe it, you can achieve it. If you work hard enough, you can get anything. And so many Christians have carried that over into the Christian life. And we, we, we get saved by faith in Jesus, but then we work real hard to do more and more to grow in Jesus and bear fruit for him. Paul said it this way, oh, you foolish Galatians. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Having been saved by the Spirit of God, are you not trying to mature by doing it yourself and working for it? That's the burden that I have today. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And we walk by faith in Jesus Christ and what he has, is, and will do in my heart right now. You've heard me say it before. The same gospel we're saved by is the same gospel we walk by. How am I saved? I turn from myself and anything I can do and I turn to Jesus and I trust him. Our walk in Christ is the same way. I turn from myself and anything I can do and I put my trust in the indwelling Jesus so the surpassing greatness of the power might come from him rather than me. I love the way Bob George says it. He says this, Jesus gave his life for us so he could give his life to us so that he could live his life through us. How many of us are letting Jesus live his life through us instead of trying to live our life for Jesus? That's where the main struggle is. And what I'm, I'm, this morning's a very different sermon. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to communicate this truth through a, a bunch of images. And um, so let's give it a try. I'm gonna dump the truck on you this morning. I know that, but it's gonna be worth it. And I wanna encourage you this. On, by the end of Wednesday, my sermon notes will be out there, the images I'm gonna show you, 
and I'll have verse references more than I'm even using this morning next to each image with the hopes that you'll study it yourself because it's worthy of the time to comprehend the truth we're gonna talk about this morning as you look into God's word and compare it to the images I'm gonna show. You might wanna go back to YouTube once that comes up or the church website. Have the notes in front of you. Listen to it again in a week or four or five days, whatever. Brothers and sisters, this could be the most life-transforming message you've ever had as a believer. You might feel like you've been born again, again if you comprehend the heart of what we're saying today. So let's start. First slide has to do with creation. This is the way that God has made man. We're three part beings. And um, look at, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter two, right? Open up your Bibles, you're in Genesis. Chapter two, I want you to see right off the bat, God has made us three-part beings. Genesis chapter two, verse seven, says this. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being or literally a living soul. What are we made of? Dust. That's our body, isn't it? Made of dust. He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. That's the spirit. And man became a living being. Body, soul, spirit. That's the way God designed us. Remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he talks about sanctifying us. Sanctify means God making us more holy, breaking down the power of sin in our life and making more of Jesus. He said this, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame. Our makeup is one where we're made up of a body, we're made up of a soul, and in that soul, uh, we have a mind, we have will, we have emotions. Actually, we have a lot of other things there, but you can't fit them all into a PowerPoint. You know, this is where our desires are. This is where our dreams are. This is where our affections are. This is where our passions are. The list goes on. The soul. And, and we've been made of a body, soul, and spirit. Our body is our earth suit. It's, this is, you know, what I'm trying to do here is kind of show the Connection, our body is our earth suit to help us connect with the environment that we're living in and the world around us made of dust. Our soul, again, notice how mind, will, emotions, notice how bold and clean and strong those are. Healthy, we've been made that way. This is what makes us uniquely us. This is what makes me different than you and you different than me. That's where our unique personality comes in and that's how we relate to other people is with our soul. But it's our spirit by which we relate to God. And so we've been made with a body to connect with this earth, soul to connect with one another and make us unique and our spirit to connect with God. That's the way Adam and Eve were created. 
That's the way we were designed to be. But something happened. It's called the fall, sin. Let's look at this next slide. And man became what the Bible calls depraved. Depraved is a big theological word for this, corrupted. Man was corrupted in his being because of the fall. Adam was corrupted. Uh, all of us end up corrupted because of that. Now, we're what we're called totally depraved, totally corrupted. Now, what it doesn't mean is this. It doesn't mean you're as bad as you can possibly be or you're as rotten as can be or that you are such the slime of the earth that you make a slug look good. That is not what total depravity, some people think to that. Total depravity means this, my total being. <laughs> Every part has been touched by depravity. Notice here, remember I showed you how the mind was bold and strong and clean and straight. Our mind, our will and emotions have all been affected by the fall. And we've been depraved. Every bit of our being has been touched by the fall. Since you have your Bibles open, look it back at Genesis chapter 2. I trust you're still there. And listen to what he says in verse 16 and 17. When he put man in the garden, and the Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day, the very day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Adam died the day he ate from the tree. Go, wait a minute, he didn't die. He kept on living after that. No, he did die. And the Bible teaches us that and tells us about it. He did die on that day, but he didn't physically die. He spiritually died that day. And so death, you know, you don't have to turn to it, but let me, you know, in Ecclesiastes 9, this is the best definition I, I, I can have when it comes to death. You know, death is not the cessation of life, it's the separation from life. And he talks in Ecclesiastes 9, speaking of death, indeed their love, their hate, their zeal have perished and they will no longer have share in all that is done under the sun. Life and activity continues on on this earth, but those who die are put in the grave and they're separated. They no longer share or participate in the life that is taking place right here on the earth. Well, spiritual death is the same thing. Guess what? They were alive to God. They were connecting with God when they were created, right? But now that their spirit died, they've been separated. They no longer participate with God or the things of God. And so now Adam, at the level of his spirit, he died. And he's no longer participating with God, but he's separated from God in his spirit. The day that he ate of the tree, his spirit died died. Now look at what Genesis chapter 5, just turn over a couple pages, says. This is the book. I'm in uh, verse 1 of chapter 5 of Genesis. 
This is the book of the generation of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, created in the image of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. Both male and female have been created in the image of God. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and he named him Seth. Adam's children, and everybody that had been born from Adam's children throughout, which comes all the way down to us, and anybody else is going to be born, had been born in the image of Adam. What's the image of Adam? The image of Adam is now the image of God that has been corrupted. And so we're all born. And then we're in our lost state before we knew Jesus. Our spirit was cut off from a relationship with God and every part of my being has been touched by corruption because we've all been born in the image of Adam. And so what happens when Adam sinned that day? Well, we learn in the Bible, in Romans chapter 6, that the body is the place where sin dwells and operates. Romans chapter 6, the question is, shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? He says, absolutely not. What he goes on to say is that the old man, which we see, by the way, this in Adam, the old self, this is in Adam, this is what we're like. He said that the old man died so that the body of sin might be rendered powerless. This body is the place where sin dwells and operates. Then you go to Romans chapter 7, and what's the question? Doing God's will and obeying God. That's why he struggled and said, you know, what I want to do, I can't do. Uh, you know, I, I find this battle inside, deep inside, I want to listen to God, but I find myself constantly being tripped up. And what he's saying here is, and then he calls it the body of death. Death is the ultimate weakness, the ultimate inability, no longer can participate. Man does not have the ability to obey God in the way that he was in Adam. And so what we find as we look at our depraved condition, death entered into the body, and that day when Adam sinned, physical death, the process of that started, which was eventually carried out, but death in the sense of the inability to obey God and sin dwelling in us. Our soul was corrupted. Remember, we learned in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 17, just a few weeks ago, not to walk like the Gentiles in the futility of their minds, the emptiness of their minds. You see, the mind of the lost is a, a, a mind that is separated from being connected with God and it's one that doesn't consider his word on the way how to live life. Our will, so many people think, well, I just gotta make the right choices. I gotta have the willpower. Well, according to 2 Timothy 2.26, he talks about the devil has taken people captive to do his will. Even our wills have been affected by the fall. Our emotions, we know that, how jumbled up our emotions can be because of the fall. And like we said, our spirit, now, which is called in the Bible in Adam or our old self, is dead. Look at what Romans chapter 5 says. Therefore, just as through one man 
Sin entered into the world. That was Adam. And death through sin. When Adam sinned, death entered into the world. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. When you look at this, death spread to all men. It spread in the past because all sinned in the past. Well, how did I sin in the past? You see, we were in Adam. <laughs> and Adam represented you and I. And, and whether you believe what they call the federal headship, where Adam represented all mankind, or whether you believe that we were in him seminally, which I happen to believe, which is a whole nother sermon to explain. We were in Adam when he sinned. And so when he sinned, we sinned. When death hit him, death hit us. That's what Romans teaches us. So now we're born dead. We don't die because we sin. You know, we don't become sinners because we sin, but actually we're born sinners. Look at what Romans chapter five, verse 19 says. For as through one man's disobedience, going back to Adam, the many were made sinners. So at the time when Adam sinned, he died spiritually and he became a sinner. So at the core of his being and his spirit, sin was what gave him life and that's what he related to and that's what his bent was towards. And so when you and I were lost and when you and I were born, we were born in Adam. That was our old self. We were spiritually dead and at heart sinners. But praise God for salvation, right? Amen. Let's look at the next one. I hope I'm not losing you all. I, my, my, my concern is this sermon could be the most life-changing sermon you ever heard or the biggest bomb I ever delivered. I'm praying for the first. If I totally lose, just stand up, say, wait, stop. So, but we've been saved. We are brand new creatures in Christ. At the core of our being, we are brand new. Look what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, we, the word he got omitted in the, in, while we we're formatting, I'm sorry. But if anyone is in Christ, remember in Adam, now we've been transferred by his doings into Christ. Therefore, if anyone, that's a believer, is in Christ, he and she is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. And guess what, guys? Everything in here is new. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. Now I'm holy and righteous. This is the new self that I am. I love what Jesus said in John 3, 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Remember our last slide in Adam, the old man, a sinner, dead? Well, guess what? A dead man can't participate in the things of this world. A spiritually dead person can't participate in the things of God. So we must be born again. With something has to happen at this level. Something has to change. It's not about being good enough. It's not about going to church enough. It's not about being moral enough. It's not about doing enough good deeds. It's about being born again at the core of our being. Because what happened at one time, man was alive to God. And he had a relationship with him, was connected. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. We all died with him. And now we're separated from God. And the only way 
We can enter into the kingdom of God is to be born again. And God makes us a brand new self in Christ. And you know, if you don't know Jesus, I will encourage you because it was in that same chapter where Jesus said this. He said later on, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that was Jesus to die for us, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Turning from myself and what I can do to be saved to Jesus and what he did in his death, burial, and resurrection for me to become a brand new creature, to be born again. If you haven't done that, make today the day. Talk to me, somebody else afterwards. You need to turn away from yourself to Jesus and rely upon him to be saved. Romans 5, we just, this is the second half of the verse we just looked. First half, what, by one man's sin? We all became sinners, right? By one man's disobedience. Well, look at this. Even so, through the obedience of the one, that's Jesus. Through the obedience of one, the many, that's you and me, will be made righteous. Through the obedience of Jesus, you and I have now become righteous. We learned in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 24, just a few weeks ago, that in Christ, we are holy and righteous. That's who we are now. We're now called the new self. I'm in Christ. What happened? We learned in Romans 6, the old self that I was at this level, boom, the old man was crucified with Christ. We weren't, not only were our sins forgiven at the cross, the sinner in me died with Jesus. And so when Jesus died on the cross, that old man that I was in Adam, the old self died, and now when he rose from the dead, I become a new self where now I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. I'm holy and I'm righteous. This is why I say you're not a sinner saved by grace. So many Christians identify that's just not the truth. And if at the core of the being you believe you're a sinner, you're gonna live consistent with who you think you are. But if you realize I'm a brand new creature and I'm totally changed and my deepest nature is to be holy and righteous and I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, that's a whole different way to look at myself. Brothers and sisters, we are not sinners saved by grace. We are saints who've been transformed by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and what he did. That's who we are. And so this defines our core problem. Look at sin. Death are in my body, my mind, my will, and the emotions, still all corrupted by the fall, waiting yet to be redeemed in the future, but this part of me has already been saved. So here's our problem. I'm a saved person at the core of my being, living inside of an unsaved body. That's why you and I struggle. God has transformed us at the core of our being, but the rest of us is waiting to be transformed when we'll be like Christ. Romans 8 says we're looking forward to the redemption of our bodies. Our spirits have been redeemed. We're looking forward to the redemption of our bodies. When sin will be removed from that body, we'll get an immortal body that is holy and righteous just like our spirit. I've said it like this sometimes. We're new creatures at the core of our being who are inseparably linked with a fallen flesh. That's our struggle. 
So how do we get out of that struggle? Well, that's what the next slide shows us. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. It's the work of sanctification. Said, what's sanctification? It's making us holy. What's making us holy? Easiest way to remember John the Baptist. I must decrease, he must increase. Holiness is Pat Peglo decreasing in Pat Peglo's life. And there's less and less of Pat in his, this part of Pat in control. And there's more and more of this part in control. Last week we talked about the filling of the spirit. I'm under the influence. You see, this part of me, when I'm in the flesh, I'm under the influence of Pat Peglo. But when I'm relying on this one, I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit and now I'm under the influence of the Spirit. He impacts my mind, will, and emotions and things. But I'm jumping ahead to the next slide, but it just fits so well. Remember what Galatians 5, 6 says is this, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. When we walk, what is walking? But we learned last week what the filling of the Spirit is, what's walking by the Spirit Moment by moment, step by step through life, I'm depending upon the one who lives in me rather than myself. So the surpassing greatness of my power will come from him and not from me. And when I walk by the Spirit, I don't carry out all the desires that are filling my soul and my body to go contrary to God because it's still corrupted made in the image of Adam, but my new man, as I depend upon him, puts that out of operation. So this is what the Spirit does. He dismantles sin in my life. Turn to Romans chapter eight in your Bibles. We're gonna finish in Romans chapter eight. So this is the other passage I want you to see today. We're gonna see three verses in Romans eight. First of all, the ministry of the Spirit is to dismantle, to break down, to destroy the work of sin in my life. Listen to verse 13 of Romans 8. For if you're living according to the flesh, we'll see you again in a minute. How am I living according? That's when I live life from here. You must die. But if by the Spirit... The Holy Spirit, the person of God living in me, you are putting to death the deeds of the body. You will live. The ministry of the Spirit of God is to put sin out of operation in our life, to decrease its control in our life. Less and less of sin controlling me and more and more of the Spirit controlling me. And then we see it's also to fill us with the resurrection, we sang that today, the resurrected, he's resurrected me right now, I'm already resurrected. I'm not just looking forward to a resurrection of my body in the future, I've already been resurrected because when Jesus died, I died. When Jesus rose, I rose. Look at what he says in Romans 8 verses 10 and 11. These are some of the most precious verses in the New Testament. If Christ is in you, and he is if you're a believer, Though the body is dead, here's Christ in me. Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead 
dwells inside of you and me. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He gives us resurrected life. Think with me for a moment. He says our mortal bodies, right? Given to death, characterized by death. When we're resurrected in the future, we get immortal bodies that will never die and are not characterized by death. So when he's giving life to the mortal body, he's giving life to the body I have right now that is unable to obey God and do his will, and he fills me with a resurrected life so I can walk the way God wants me to walk. Brothers and sisters, we can never forget that the gospel is not just the cross of Jesus, it's the resurrection of Jesus because it's that life that fills us now and gives us the ability to walk through God. Bob George said it this way, if all there was was at the cross, at best we'd be forgiven dead men. But because of the resurrection, we're brand new creatures in Christ. And Jesus lives inside of me. And he's working to dismantle the sin in my life and fill me with the resurrected life of Jesus. And then we go further. We go, what does John 4, 4 say to us about Satan? Greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. The one who lives in me is greater than Satan, the God of this world. So on one hand, the Spirit is dismantling sin in my life. He's filling me with the resurrection power of God. He's defeating Satan's work in my life. And then as uh, Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 26 says this, Jesus is the guardian and the shepherd of my soul. You know what? So many of us are trying so hard to fix up our souls and to keep them for Jesus and become better when Jesus is the one who fixes my soul and makes it better. Sheep, they're helpless. They're vulnerable, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. The quality of a sheep is dependent on the shepherd. If you're the one who's shepherding your own soul and not trusting Jesus to do it, you're going to be a wandering soul even as a believer. But if I transfer my trust from myself and what I can do to keep my soul and to make it better and I put it in Jesus, guess what happens, guys? God does miracles inside of our lives called transformation. One last slide. Walking by the Spirit. Let's define it. Walking by the Spirit, you've heard it over and over again in this message. Moment by moment, reliance upon the Spirit of Jesus for two things. To obey God's will, to change my unable to able, and to dismantle sin in my life. I'm trusting the Spirit to give me and enable me for what I need to obey God and to defeat sin in my life. What is walking in the flesh? Moment by moment, reliance upon my body and soul, everything I got from Adam. This unsaved soul and body, death is impacting, inability and sin is working and impacting all of it. That's everything I got from Adam. Walking in the flesh is I'm gonna depend on everything I got from Adam. I'm gonna depend on my mind. I'm gonna make the right choices. I'm just gonna choose it. I'm gonna use willpower. I'm gonna make a plan. I'm gonna build a strategy. I'm gonna do this and that. We got all this built 
And we're denying and not relying upon the one who lives in us. That's why so many Christians only have a trickle of power in their life while they got the semblance of the Pharisees who on the outside were whitewashed sepulcher, but on the inside were full of dead man bones. You know, we can externally do the things of Jesus, but God wants us to do it in a way that internally is consistent with what he wants of us. So walking in the flesh is depending upon everything I got from Adam that is still corrupted by the fall to pull off God's will and defeat sin in my life. While walking in the spirit is transferring my trust from myself to him and what he can do. If you're still in Romans 8, look at this, chapter 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What's the law that you got to go back to chapter before? The law of sin and death. Uh, as uh, Paul was trying to do God's will, he found this principle that deep down inside of him, in the core of his being, he wants to do God's will constantly. But there's another law that's in operation in his body called the law of sin and death where sin is constantly, that's what a law is. It's constantly there. It always happens that way. Sin is going to be our constant companion in our bodies until we are with Jesus. So you might as well accept this isn't about getting rid of sin. That principle is going to be true. I'm always going to have that part of me inside that wants to walk with Jesus, but there's that part of me that wants to go against that. But here's the good news. For the law of the spirit of life the life of Jesus, the resurrected life of Jesus has set you free from the law of the constant principle and the power of sin and death. That look down at verse four. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. My goal today is to, just like you got saved, brothers and sisters, where you transfer your trust from yourself and what you can do to G what Jesus did, is to get you to transfer your trust from yourself and what you can do to Jesus and what he will do in your heart right now. Now, you might say, Pat, are, are you talking about passivity? I am not talking about living a passive life. We engage everything that God's made for us, even though it may be corrupted a little bit, our mind, our will, and emotions. Uh, but the point is, is what are we depending on? While we engage them as instruments for the life of Jesus to work through, to fill, to transform, to break down sin and put more of his life inside of it, while I use that as an instrument, that's not what I'm depending upon. I worked hard to prepare for this sermon. I put in many hours. I put my mind. I made choices to do that. I did all that. But I wasn't depending upon my hard work. I'm depending upon the Spirit of God to enable me in the midst of that to give me everything I need to, to give the sermon I'm supposed to give. And so this isn't about passivity. But this is about dependence. Say, what? well, well what about all those commands in Scripture? Aren't I responsible to obey the commands he gives us? Yes, we are. We're absolutely responsible. But that's not the right question. The question is, how do we carry out those commands? It's the way we carry out the commands, whether we do them in the flesh or the spirit, that makes a difference. So when I read a command in the Scripture, 
I, rather than uh, turning to myself and everything I can pull together, we're not doing well in our marriage, so I'm gonna figure out a strategy, I'm gonna find a plan, I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna really choose to do right, I'm gonna try to get all my emotions back together so I have a better marriage, so I can love my wife as Jesus loved the church, on the inside as well as the outside, <laughs> that's the goal. Submission with joy. And you know, what is happening is, is that we as believers are depending on ourselves and our strategies and our plans and our efforts to fix us rather than relying upon the one who lives in us to do a miracle within us while we engage in our plans and our strategies and our things. This is the heart. Let me just give you two passages and then I'm gonna close this up. Philippians 2, 12, this is obedience. So then, my beloved, just as you always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. You always obeyed when I was there, and I'll make sure you obey when I'm not there. Work out your salvation with fear. Well, that sounds like it's me. Yeah, it is. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in you and in me to make me want to do what God wants me to do and to give me the ability to do it. Yes, I'm responsible. Yes, I'm to work towards and engage everything, but I need to depend on the working of God to change my heart and to give me everything I need. Then there's a passage I pray almost daily. Now the God of peace equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. Where does God do the working? Everything I need to do is will. Any command in scripture is God's will for you and me. Everything I need to do is will. God is working in me through Jesus Christ. And I love this in a way that's pleasing in his sight. This isn't just external obedience, I'm just gonna do it because I'm supposed to do it. But you know what, my heart and my hands and my tongue and everything are one because the Spirit of God is filling and controlling and transforming me. He's changing me. He is working in me to transform this will which has been affected by the fall and he's inside of me, working to transform me. And so to walk by the Spirit. Hey guys, I'm only halfway through my sermon and we're more than halfway out of time. I got some things in the notes I encourage you to look at. Um, I have some quotes from Watchman Nee, chapter 10 of his book. I'm not gonna do them. Uh, we're, just, we're, we're just out of time. I'll just read you one or two key ones. Yeah, I just told you I wouldn't do it, now I'm gonna do it, but yeah, I'm sorry. We think, we think of the Christian life as a changed life, but it's not. What God offers us is an exchanged life, a substitute life. Christ is our substitute within. And let me tell you what he says about will because so many Christians think it's about their choices and making the right choices and really committing themselves. 
Again, when the life of Jesus working, you will make the right choices and you will commit yourself more and you will give more. You follow what I'm saying? We're starting and we got it all backwards. It's the life that does it. It's not our choices. So he says this about willpower. He says, why do men use willpower to try to please God? He says this, they may be born again and the life is really there within them but they've not learned how to trust the life. Instead, they're trusting their will. Brothers and sisters, that's our core problem. Many of us have the surpassing power of the greatness of the glory of God in the face of Jesus dwelling inside of our bodies, and we've never learned to trust him. And instead, we're trusting everything we got from Adam that's been corrupted to try to do God's will. When we trust him, we do it in a way that's pleasing in God's sight, brings glory to him, transformation to our lives, and blessing to others. So Father, I wanna, and you know, I messed up the worship team as to when to come down. I, I cut out all the notes I told you when to come, so I'll pray real long so they can get down here. But let's pray. You know, guys, let me say this. If you choose to walk in the spirit or by the flesh, it's all the difference between joy and frustration in your life as a believer. It's all the difference between fruitfulness and barrenness. It's all the difference between a life of praise for what God has and will do and is doing in you and a life of discouragement. It's the difference between rivers of living water flowing out of our being and just drips of the spirit. It's the difference between the surpassing greatness of his power working through our lives and a life of defeat. Like I said, this is worth going back, reviewing, studying. Guys, this, this is our moment by moment walk. Many of us got saved by trusting Jesus and stopped right then and spent the rest of our lives working to grow as Christians. We need to learn to turn from ourselves and what we can do, not just to be saved, but in our daily walk with him. So God, so it won't be me living for Jesus, but it'll be Jesus living for me to the glory of God. So Father, I just, I just pray now. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just open our eyes like the men on the road to Emmaus, Lord. You open their minds to understand. I pray today that many Christians will transfer their trust from themselves to Jesus. Moment by moment as we walk with you, Lord. And I pray that the fruit of that would be greater commitments, giving all to you, making the right choices, Father, being better husbands and better wives and better children and better parents, better employees. Lord, fill in the blank. We add, and Lord, I pray especially better witnesses. Acts 1.8, we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to anoint us as witnesses. So Father, I just pray for your own namesake, for your own glory, for the salvation of the lost, for the purifying of your church, for the furthering of your kingdom and your agenda, God, would you take today's message and write it on our hearts, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.